Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. Well, man, first of all, again, those guys, Tyler, Arizona, Ryan, Savannah, all you guys, you guys did an amazing job. Give them another hand. They worked very hard. <laughs> Bailey, you guys all, great, great job. Uh, well, Footloose actually had, kind of have a special place in my heart that even though in the 1980s I was a pretty hardcore metalhead, I always liked Footloose. And so there are a couple reasons for that. The first one is I went on my very first date age 12 to see Footloose at the Wheelersburg Cinema. And so then, you know, as fate would have it, as you, many of you know, uh, I ran away from home when I was 15 years old, and then I ran out to Hollywood, and I lived out in Hollywood, and when I was 17, my very first job in Hollywood, I was working for my brother who owned a music publishing company. Now, music publishers are basically agents for songwriters. Right, So if you're a songwriter, you write a song, you find a publisher, a publisher goes and tries to get you, uh, some artist to use your song, and then you get a percentage of that. And so one of my brother's clients was Dean Pitchford. Dean Pitchford wrote the screenplay and co-wrote all the songs for Footloose. And so I worked with Dean for, for two years, and, and Dean and I are friends. He was very, very good and very, very kind to me. Well, okay, what does all that have to do with this sermon series we're talking about, Speaking Truth in Boldness? Actually, I'm going to argue it has a lot to do with it. So just stick with me. Deal with my caffeine high because I'm probably going to, you know, speak even faster than I normally do. God bless you. And so, but we'll, we'll get, <laughs> they're going to be doing this in a minute. But anyway, it, it, we'll, we'll get through it. Um, we're talking about speaking truth in boldness. Now, when I say boldness, Webster's Dictionary uh, defines boldness. It should be there in your outline. It says, not afraid of danger or difficult situations. All right, well, that's, that's fine. But the Greek word for boldness used in the New Testament again and again by Luke and by Paul and by others, when they talk about speaking boldly or being bold, actually they, what the Greek word means is speaking or acting with absolute confidence in what you're speaking about or, or doing something for. It's having absolute confidence. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about being bold in a biblical sense. Too often in our culture, if I say bold, you know, we say bold, we think loud, in your face, the kind of person that you almost run when you see him coming. But that's not how the Bible defines boldness. It's with confidence. Let's look at a couple places. All right, look at Acts 13, 46, if you could throw that up there for me, Chris. Then Paul and, answer, uh, and Barnabas answered them, them being Jewish opponents, people who were trying to keep the gospel from spreading, answered them boldly, speaking with confidence. We had to speak the word of God to you first. But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. And then we're going to jump over to Acts 14, 3. There's Luke's you know, describing this, all this bold action they're taking one after another. And so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace, grace being unmerited gifts. So he's speaking the gospel. He's talking about that all people can have salvation in Jesus Christ, that anyone, anyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven because Jesus paid the penalty for those sins on the cross. 
and that Jesus actually stands in our place for judgment. Jesus gives us his life. We become one with Christ. So at the end of time, we are judged by Jesus' life, not our own. That's why they call it good news. And they, Paul and Barnabas, traveled the entire world speaking this boldly. And the reason it was so bold, even by Webster's definition, is that because back then to speak the gospel could get you killed. The Jews often would stone people. Mobs would come and kill you for saying that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the only way to salvation. Today, people may roll their eyes. People may, ah, that's right, I don't believe all that. People may, you know, people may give you some grief. They're not going to kill you. Nobody in the cubicle next to you is going to pull out a Glock 9 just because you say, you know, Jesus is king or anything. That's not going to happen, right? They may write you off. They're not going to kill you. But why aren't we doing that more? Why aren't we being more bold? We should have that confidence. We can have that confidence. But I argue there's something else that we need to. Along with confidence, we need something else. Take a look at 2 Corinthians at uh, 3, 7 through 12. That's where we're going to go real quick. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, he's talking about the Ten Commandments, he's talking about the Old Testament law. Paul often said that the Old Testament law could not save you, it just showed you your sin. So that it came in glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. Because Moses had been the presence of God, his face was literally glowing. Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? This is the new covenant. The, the ministry of the Spirit, after Jesus has died, resurrected, and this gospel can go out for all people, and the Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us and help us and grow us. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Now, when Paul uses that term righteousness, he almost always means not, not self-righteousness, not, you know, but being made right with God, being in a right relationship with God. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, catch this, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. It is confidence and hope that drive us, that should drive us to spread the gospel, to share the gospel, to, to invite people to church, to have them come and, 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 and hear what's being said. Hopefully come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Boldness comes from confidence. And this confidence is not in us. We may act cocky. And we may have confidence in certain areas of our life. There are some areas, you know, of your life where, you know, you're doing pretty good. But there are other areas of your life that you struggle with. And because you have areas in your life that you struggle with, you doubt yourself. Now, this is going to be the opposite of what Dr. Phil has to say. But Pastor Matt says, you're right to doubt yourself. Because we're all jacked up sinners. We just are. We cannot do anything truly great and eternal on our own. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need God to do it. So our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in God, in who God is, what God has done, and the hope in what he will do. Does that make sense? That's where our confidence comes from. That's where our boldness should 
come from. And the disciples were bold. The disciples were bold. They faced death. We know there's there's a great new book by Sean McDowell on on the death of the disciples. Most of the disciples died just horrendous deaths. Some were boiled in oil. Some were skinned alive. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. And they were all given the chance to deny Jesus Christ and live. And they said no. Why? Because they saw Jesus. They saw him die. They saw him rose. Rise. Rose. There's the coffee. They saw him rise. And when they saw him, I'd love to have been there. One of my favorite, as you probably know if you've heard me preach before, one of my favorite parts of Scripture is when Jesus appears to the disciples in a locked room. And he doesn't knock on the door, right? He doesn't open the door. What does he do? He just pops up in the middle of the room, just appears. I guarantee you they wet their robes. (laughs) Wouldn't you? I mean, I'm not kidding you, man. If some guy just pops up in the middle of my house, it's going to be clean up on aisle two, right? And that's what Jesus does. They saw him, and they saw him ascend. And they said, I will come back, and I will establish a new heavens and a new earth. And he said that he would reign and rule over this new earth as our king. And that we, Paul says, we will get bodies just like Jesus' resurrected body. And it was a flesh, it was flesh and bone. They felt him. He ate. We get to eat. Amen. Calorie-free pizza for everyone. (laughs) Right? For all eternity, pizza. A new heavens and a new earth. This is the hope. And not only that, I will finally see. You know this about me if you've heard me or if you follow me on Facebook. I have always wanted an orangutan. Always. Always wanted a buddy orangutan named Clyde, just like Clint Eastwood had in any which way you can. In the new heavens and the new earth, if Randy Alcorn's book on heaven is right, there will be animals in the new heavens and new earth. I will have an orangutan that is my best friend Clyde. And that's not weird. Quit looking at me that way. (laughs) The Bible says don't judge. I will have an orangutan buddy. I don't want one now. I don't want one in this fallen world. I had a buddy who had an orangutan when he was in a frat at the University of Kentucky. And he told me about this. We were practicing law together. I was like, oh, dude, that's awesome. He goes, no, it was not awesome. I said, he didn't like hang out with you and drink beer with you or whatever? He said, no. He'd kick open the door, scream, and fling his poo at us. I'm like, all right, no, I don't want that. All right, I, 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 the screaming I can handle, the kicking the doors maybe, but the flying poo, no thanks. I, I'll pass on that. So, but, but in the new heavens and the new earth, when there's no sin and all that kind of stuff, and yes, it's a sin to fling poo at somebody, so no, I, there will be none of that, and I will have an orangutan. Quit. Don't judge me. But that is the hope that we have. And the disciples had that confidence and that hope. How can we have that same confidence? We didn't witness it. No, but here's what we know. Okay, it's true that religious people who have faith may be willing to die for something they've taken on faith. You do not die for something that you know is a lie. So if they saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, they got absolutely nothing for being Jesus' disciples except persecution and poverty and death. Can you trust their testimony? Absolutely. That's why we can trust the Bible. That's why we can trust their witness that they saw Jesus die and rise again. And that's why we know because we can trust that. And the Bible says there will be a new heavens and a new earth 
that we can have confidence and hope. And that confidence, again, is not in us, but in God. Tim Keller put it this way. He said, I can get down here. It's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. And it's the same way about living the Christian life. You can have a little faith, and if God's working through you, you can do great things. You can have great faith, and if God's not working through you, you're not going to do well. It's about what God can do through you with a little faith or a lot of faith. It's the confidence that we place in God. Tim Keller also put it this way. If you stumble off a cliff and you grab onto a branch, is it your faith in the branch that saves you or the branch? It's the branch, right? And it's the same thing with God. It's, your, it's, it's God himself that we have confidence in. We know he will return. We know that he will establish a new kingdom and a new heavens and a new earth because he's promised it and God doesn't lie and God doesn't change. Right? That's where our confidence comes from. Be bold. I am asking you all to be bold. Let me show you a picture of a guy. Richard Pape. Show me Richard Pape. Survey says. That's Richard Pape. Many of you probably never heard of it. I hadn't until a couple weeks ago. Um, when I was assigned this to preach on this, I started to look up some things on boldness, and I found this one book called Boldness Be My Friend. Had to order a used copy from Great Britain, and it's all old and jacked up, but I read it. And it's all about Richard Pape. Richard Pape was a redheaded, foul mouthed, hard drinking Scotsman. But he loved liberty and he hated the Nazis. And he became a bombardier for the Royal Air Force. And so he goes and he's bombing the heck out of Nazi Germany and he gets shot down and he gets captured. And he escapes and he gets back to England, gets back on a plane, goes over, starts bombing Nazi Germany, gets shot down, escapes, goes back, gets on a plane, goes back, bombing, shot down, tortured, escaped, and he kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And they always asked him, he said, why? Because not all prison camps were hell holes. Most of them were, but some of them they would treat, because the, the way they had the racist way the Nazis thought, they would treat the white prisoners from America and, and England a little bit better. And they were like, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep risking your life and getting shot at and being chased by dogs all across these countrysides just to get back on a plane and do it all over again? And Richard Papes, he hated the Nazis. He had confidence that the Allies could win, and he had a hope for a liberated future, so he kept doing it. And so that's why he was bold. Shouldn't we have more confidence in God? So shouldn't we even be bolder? I think so. I think so. And the thing is this today. Like I said, to speak the truth in boldness, you don't have to be loud. In fact, you shouldn't be. You don't have to be a jerk. In fact, just don't. There's hardly ever reason to be a jerk. I fight my jerkiness. I get it. Every day when I drive through New Boston, especially these days, if I drive anywhere in Scioto County these days, anybody got a helicopter? <laughs> but there's no reason to be mean. We're going to have to speak the truth to a culture that increasingly is becoming hostile because they do not believe in truth. And when we speak that truth, just like Paul says in Colossians, we need to do so with grace. We need to do so gracefully. Speak the truth 
but do so gracefully. And if you have to call somebody out, if you read the New Testament carefully, the people Jesus most often calls out, the people Paul most often calls out, are not the sinners, it's the religious people. Jesus is constantly hanging out with sinners. Paul is constantly calling sinners in love and repentance and helping them. And they're constantly calling out the narrow-minded, judgmental, religious people. So how is it that 2,000 years later we got that backwards? I mean, people get mad at me when I get up here and say such and such preacher, what they're preaching is heresy, what they're preaching is unbiblical. Oh, you shouldn't talk that way about other preachers. Have you read the New Testament? Only people Paul ever attacks are other preachers. And he calls them out. There was this one group of preachers going around saying, if you want to be a Christian, you've got to become a Jew first, you have to get circumcised. Paul says, tell them to keep cutting. <laughs> Read Galatians, it's in there, not making it up. You think I'm mean, you'd hate Paul. But there are some people, as our culture grows increasingly hostile to Christianity, we need to be graceful with the sinners, and the only people we need to call out sometimes are our fellow folks who are getting out of line. I'm hesitant to even call this next group a church, to be honest with you. This group really makes me mad. Throw up the picture. You guys may recognize, many of you recognize this. The so-called Westboro Baptist Church. I call them morons. These people go to the funerals of fallen soldiers and hang up signs like that, God hates you, because they believe that because of same-sex marriage in America and because of the gay rights movement, God is killing our soldiers. And they go there in front of grieving fathers and mothers and hold up those signs. You're going to get mad at me for calling them out? Are you kidding me? I don't think that's a church. That's a cult. And those people should be ashamed of themselves. Absolutely ashamed of themselves. We're going to have to call some people out. There are people out there saying, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. That's not in the Bible. God wants you to be faithful. He'll reward you later. And so, this is where Footloose comes in. The amazing thing to me about the movie Footloose is, the preacher in it, played by John Lithgow, Reverend Shaw, he's a fundamentalist Baptist. Fundamentalist means he's, he's a conservative, biblical Christian, and yet he's a good guy in the movie. And yet, Dean Pitchford, who wrote it, Born in Hawaii, went to Yale, was a Broadway dancer, made it big writing the song Fame, remember Fame, then went on to write Footloose. Dean is a gay, liberal, agnostic, and yet, this is how he portrays the preacher. Roll the first clip. What is this, Roger? I don't know this book. I would hope you wouldn't. Reverend Moore. Uh, Mrs. Evans is calling about that dance over at the school. Oh, uh, would you tell her I'll call her back right after Junior Bible? Mary, now, what were you saying? Uh, this was found in one of the athletic lockers over at the school. A book like this should be burned. We should go to the library and remove this corruption from the shelves. Well, there's no sense blowing it up into something that it isn't. Hello. Careful. <laughs> Come on, Max. I'll sit up by. Well, I think it's quite obvious what it is. Well, it's not quite so obvious how I should handle it. Reverend, if you'll excuse my saying so, 
When we got rid of that young English teacher over at the school, we didn't get any support from you. That's because I didn't think we had any grounds for his dismissal. Well, Reverend, around here, it caused a lot of folks some worry. Well, a lot of folks worry a little too much. Doesn't take much time for corruption to take root, Reverend. How long is that, Roger? About as long as it takes compassion to die. Say, do I get a cookie? No! Did you drink all the milk? Now, I didn't think about this when I watched this in 1984. I didn't even think about this in, really, in 2014, the 30th anniversary where I messaged Dean on Facebook. But it hit me just in the last couple of weeks. That, you know, a liberal gay secular guy wrote that. And then the congregation doesn't listen, and a lot of times, even when we stand up and speak, people aren't going to listen to us, and so then this happens. When did you all decide to sit in judgment? Who elected all of you to be the saviors of everybody's souls in Beaumont? Reverend, we have a perfect right to determine what our Roger. children... When you burned all of these, what are you going to do then? Chris, take these out of here. Satan is not in these books. He's in here. He's in your hearts. Go on home, all of you. Go and sit in judgment on yourselves. Roger, go home. Eleanor, come on. Go home now. Come on, both of you. thing I can think of, of why Dean would portray this fundamentalist Baptist minister as, as basically a good guy, a good guy with different beliefs from him, but a good guy, is that he'd had enough encounters with Christians who actually spoke the truth to him gracefully, is that he knew people like this. Because if you've never been to church, and you're not going to write that as a portrayal of your minister, you're not. And the only way the culture out there, we need to quit. Look, the culture is going to get worse and worse and worse probably in the next 10 years. Absent some kind of great awakening, things are going to get worse. And Christians tend to get really ginned up about the culture. Oh, we've got to win this election. We've got to stop that. We've got to stop this. We've got to stop that. And I understand being passionate about those issues. I have been on the forefront of those issues. But we need to be more concerned about reaching our neighbors for Jesus Christ, speaking the truth clearly and gracefully, we need to be bold about that more than anything else. More than anything else. You need to quit, Warren. Don't get so angry when sinners sin. They're just fulfilling their job description. That's what they do. 
We need to, first of all, as he said, and he's just quoting somebody from Scripture, a guy named Jesus, worry about the plank in your own eye before you worry about the speck in someone else's. Go sit on judgment upon yourself first. We got work to do in our own hearts. And we got work to do in reaching the hearts of others with the help of the Holy Spirit. See, when this happens in culture, when, when culture becomes hostile to Christianity, Christians tend to react in one of three ways. The first is they get cowardice. They just decide, we'll just keep our faith here in the, in the four walls of the building. We're not called to do that. Jesus said, if you deny me in front of other men, I will deny you in front of the Father. The other one is to get afraid. And when people get afraid, they get angry. They get afraid and angry. They do stupid stuff like that, like that film clip. They get stuff, stupid stuff like the Westboro Baptist Church. The third option is where we need to go. We need to have a spine. And some Christians do need a spinal transplant. We need to have a spine, speak the truth, and the truth in a secular culture is going to get you some pushback. For example, saying that Jesus is the only way to God, which is what the Bible says, really rubs people the wrong way. But it's what we're called to do. But we'll do it, or we should do it, gracefully. If you have to take a breath before you say anything, take a breath. Be nice. Calm down. Remember Matt's golden rule, don't be a jerk, don't argue with people on Facebook. How many people have ever been converted by an argument on Facebook? Answer, zero. Don't, just don't do it. We have a job to do as Christians. We have a king who will return. And we need to be able to stand in front of that king and look him in the eye if we can and know that we have been bold because we are confident in who he is and what he has done and we are hopeful in what he will do one day. Yes, we need to impact the culture. Yes, the culture is getting worse. But you know what? One day a trumpet will sound, a king will appear, and everything will change. I don't know if you've read the end of the book yet. Spoiler alert, we win. So there's not, you don't have to get so upset about that. We win. And I've said this before, people get so caught up also. They get so caught up in all this end times this and antichrist this, and all that kind of stuff. Here's what you need to know about the book of Revelation. Here's the book of Revelation in three lines. God's team wins. Choose which team to belong to. Don't be stupid. That's the book of Revelation. And that's what we're looking at. Have confidence. Have hope. Be bold. Be graceful. The number one priority we have is to get people who don't know Jesus Christ into church, to hear the gospel, to come to faith, to be baptized, and go get somebody else. See that scoreboard back there? That's going up. A couple more families are going to be added this week. Got a couple more who want to be baptized, talking to two other people who want to be baptized. Keep inviting people to church. Let them come hear the truth. 
in our culture, that is being bold. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done, for who you are, for what you have promised to do. I pray that as anyone here who doesn't know you, who doesn't, they're not in a relationship with you, a saving relationship, they will come forward here in a few moments, come talk to me, come talk to Rick and Cindy, Andrew and Rachel, somebody, Ralph, and just, and just come to faith in you. And I pray that every person here will be confident that what their scriptures tell them is true, that they will have hope, their ultimate hope will always be your second coming, your new kingdom, your perfect kingdom, and that that will make them bold, that they will reach out to their coworkers, their friends, their neighbors, ask them to come to church. Tell them that this is a church that's not here to judge them, that we're here to help them. May we all do this. May everyone do that this week. Whether they're successful or not, it's about being faithful to you. May we be that faithful. We pray this in Jesus Christ. Amen. Folks, I want to thank you. Remember a couple things. One, if you're a first-time visitor here, I want you to go to the visitor's table out there. Rick and Cindy will be out there, and I want you to come and fill out a visitor's card. We have a gift certificate for you, a $25 gift certificate uh, to Mexitali for you. And then a member of the staff, one of us, will come and visit with you as soon as we can. Um, uh, it may be me, it may be uh, Rick, it may be Ralph. Most people hope it's Ralph. Um, and, we'll come, and we'll come and visit with you and, and, and to have a discussion with you, bring you a gift bag. And so, and also just please remember that we're working on this stuff for Uganda, and, and we have brand new tithe boxes back there, lock boxes, security requested those because we've had a couple incidents, and so we just needed to make sure that that's taken care of. So you can give your gift to the less fortunate as you go, and we ask you to be generous with the less fortunate. We've helped people pay rent in the last couple months. We've helped people pay electric bills. That's where your, your money is going when, when our people here are in need. God bless you. God goes with you. Have a great week.